Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Chris Brown. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. We're starting a series on First Peter. This is the, the book that Peter wrote, the letter I should say, that he wrote to a bunch of churches. For one of two letters, and uh, we're going to be doing expository preaching through the book. In other words, we're exposing or revealing or presenting the meaning of the biblical text verse by verse, rather than, say, topical preaching, which is also great, just different. And so we're going to run through uh, this month, and then uh, we won't get through the whole book. We'll pick it up later in the year, because next month is... uh, Uh, Hot Gospel Month. So we focus on the gospel, the basic great message of the cross and what Jesus has done for us. We've got uh, a guest speaker coming to share one of those Sundays as well as other in-house preachers. And uh, that'll be a really good opportunity to bring someone along to hear the Christian message in a uh, understandable format with an opportunity for them to respond to the gospel. So that's next month in August. But this month we're talking about Peter and what he wrote. Peter is, of course... The guy that very noticeable uh, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the stories uh, and records of what Jesus was doing on earth and these disciples around him. And he jumps off the page, Peter does, doesn't he? Has a real character, very strong-willed, uh, very fervent, very keen for God, but at the same time he's a bit of a loose cannon because you read that on one hand he's walking on water with Jesus and then a little while later he's rebuking Jesus to his face. Uh, Peter's the guy that jumps to the defense of Jesus and pulls out a sword and slices someone's ear off again in defense of Jesus uh, and only a few hours later he's denying his Lord three times. So with his emotional ups and downs, he could easily have disqualified himself from God using him many times over. But Jesus believes in him. Jesus saw his potential. In fact, Luke records these beautiful words uh, that Jesus spoke to Peter. He, um, he said, uh, it's recorded in Luke twenty two thirty two. Jesus said, I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. So when you've repented and turned to me again, go and strengthen and br- build up your brothers. And, uh, and so that's exactly what Peter did. He did repent, he turned back to the Lord, and he lived up to his name, Peter. Peter's the name Jesus gave him. He was Simon, but Jesus said, you'll be Peter. And Peter, of course, means rock. And so, uh, again, Jesus saw the potential for him to be a pillar in the church. And uh, and God used him in that strong, stable position for many other people. And now, he writes, 30 years later, he's been living up to his name and his calling. His strong character has been harnessed by the Holy Spirit and now he's one of the key influences in the early church. And so God chose him to write two of, uh, well, at least have two of the letters that he wrote, anointed and inspired by the Holy Spirit in such a way that it's part of our Bible, the canon of Scripture. And uh, and so he wrote the letter that we're going to study um, around 63 or 64 or 65 AD. So as I said, about 30 years after Jesus died, was raised from the dead and went back to heaven. Peter probably wrote the letter from Rome. 
and he wrote it, they say, not long before his death. And he was um, executed for his faith. Tradition tells us that he was crucified, and it's said that Peter asked to be crucified upside down to be in an even more humble position uh, than Jesus was when he was crucified. And we don't know that from the Bible, but it certainly rings true to the kind of thing Peter would say. Uh, just that kind of fervent, radical, yeah, you're going to crucify me? Well, do it upside down and going uh, to heaven in a, in, a, in a bold, loud way. So I'm going to read from the New King James Version. And now I often read from the New Living Translation, which, as you probably know, is a dynamic translation, very easy to read, modern language. But the King James, uh, the New King James, uh, the ESV, English Standard Version, these are probably um, more direct translations from the original Greek. So we're going to read um, the first couple of verses. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to there, or you can look. Hopefully it comes up on the screen, the first couple of verses. And it says this, Peter... An apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So as I said, you might have a, like the NLT is really cool, very easy to read, uh, and you can get the gist of what it's saying, but this one's good because you can look at the words that are more directly translated from the Greek language that it was originally written in. Um, so notice a few things here. Peter, like as I said, he's come a long way. He knows who he is in Jesus. He says, I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And there's a real message there for us all, isn't there? That we need to know who we are in Christ. Our identity shouldn't be based on what we look like or how many friends we have or what kind of job we have or anything else, but who we are in Christ, who God has called us, who he's calling us to be and what he's calling us to do and his hand of love and grace upon us should give you that strong sense of not self-esteem but God-given esteem for your identity to be stable and strong. And a lot of people are very shaky on that, even Christians. Oh, I don't know you know, what I'm meant to be doing or who I am and nobody loves me. And all that. You can be the most confident person in the world simply because Jesus loves you. And Peter, I think, had given up his days of being up and down like an emotional yo-yo and he knew, hey, I'm an apostle of Jesus. Who are you? You know, and so right there. And then he says... Um, He's writing um, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. And uh, these, um, these people are, well, first of all, he, notice the area, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia. These five different provinces were all part of the Roman-occupied and, and ruled uh, Asia Minor area, which is Turkey uh, in today. Um, and notice the description that he gives them. These, he's got three different words that he uses. Um, one is translated pilgrims, one is the word for dispersion, and the other word is um, the word elect. And I just want to note that, that that word dispersion, as you may know, was originally uh, referring to the Jewish believers, the converts 
who started following Jesus, who were persecuted in Jerusalem. And you read about it in the book of Acts. And so they were dispersed. Obviously, that's where we get the word from. The dysphoria was the Greek word. They were scattered because of this persecution to all far-flung places in the Roman Empire. Of course, they ended up being persecuted pretty much wherever they went. But, you know, they they initially got out of town. Um, and, of course, some ended up in Asia Minor. And so Peter's referring to them, these these Jewish uh, members of the dysphoria. So that's kind of socially who he's referring to, but theologically, um, he's also talking to any follower of Jesus who realizes that they no longer belong to this present world. So there's a sense of being sent away from what might have felt at home. If this is all there is to offer, what is on the earth, then you haven't really plugged into what God has got to offer because he's got a lot of more waiting in the spirit, in him, and eventually in heaven. And so there's a sense we are all part of this dysphoria, this this, this uh, uh, original kind of scattering. And uh, and so there it had the initial meaning and like so many other, uh, you know, Bible passages and verses and and meanings, there's a secondary meaning that applies to us as believers. And, uh, and see, notice the word pilgrim. Um, that's in the New King James. Maybe your translation uses the word stranger. It's been translated foreigners, sojourners, uh, exiles, or even the word alien. Um, and so you'd know that experience. You know, if you've ever been to another country and you don't know the language and you are around people who... They don't know your language. I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, I've travelled around Europe, you know, where well, most people speak English and you get by, you know. But you, uh, well, even in, yeah, it's, it's, except France. Famously, you know, in Paris, they, they don't want to speak English. But, but, uh, but they do if you at least, you know, look humble and say, look, we know French is a better language than English and we just haven't learned it and we're so sorry and we're dumb. Uh, and then they go, mm, yeah, it's okay. And then away they, they you know, uh, where's Edgar? Oh, I've got to stir him up. All right. Um, so, uh, uh, but you know, you go to some Asian countries and um, you get way out in the sticks and no one there has ever learnt uh, English. And I dare say the Britons have had this experience in some parts of, of Africa uh, as widely as English is spoken there, I'm sure there's plenty of places where you just are feeling really lost and out of it culturally, linguistically, socially, skin colorally. You know, you can just feel like, wow, I'm a real alien. I don't belong here. And in fact, if you're a Christian, you probably have felt and really should feel that sense to a degree, even in your own culture. Even in our own language, in you know, we love our nation, we love our culture, we love, you know, we embrace all that God has given us. The Bible says, "Dwell in the land, enjoy safe pasture." We put our roots down, we we establish homes and families and and relationships and careers, and and we do all that, and we enjoy the journey, as they say. But it is a journey to heaven, and that's your ultimate home. You're a citizen. Of heaven, more than you are a citizen of any other natural country here on earth. And so it's okay if you've ever felt like, oh, I've not got the perfect job or the perfect house or the perfect holiday or the perfect husband, you know, then it's okay. 
you know, you never will get everything just perfect. It's it's okay. It's all, as I said, part of the journey. And as they say, enjoy the journey because we're on our way to a place where it will be perfect. And so these guys were the the sojourners, the the pilgrims. And a pilgrim is, of course, on his way somewhere. He's not a bludger. He's not just a a person who hangs around. And if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, I encourage you to do so. The John Bunyan classic novel, it's just a great story, obviously, of a pilgrim and an allegory of the Christian life. Notice this word elect too, um, meaning, you know, chosen, called by God, called according to God's foreknowledge, um, loved by God. So this is connected to that sense. On one hand, you feel like you're a foreigner here on earth, but that's okay because you're going to be welcome when you get to heaven. You're going to feel completely at home. If you're following Jesus, you're being brought home. And along the way, you're being blessed, you're being guided, you're being used by God. Um, And of course, these readers were encouraged by this because the initial readers had suffered persecution. They really felt like, flip, I don't feel at home here and I'm suffering. Some of them were in prison. Some were even tortured and killed for their faith. And many others just had big social challenges. They, they were ostracized from their community because they'd become followers of this seemingly cultish Christian faith. Uh, whether they were Jews or Gentiles. The Gentiles thought it was weird following this new, new Jesus God. And the, many of the Jewish people, well, that was sacrilege to believe that the Messiah had come when they hadn't given him the thumbs up and said, yeah, that's, that's truly the anointed one. They said quite the opposite. No, he was a rebel and now you're saying he's the Messiah. That's, that's not on. And so some of these people had it hard. They, they couldn't get their kids educated. They had doors closed to them for uh, work opportunities. And so all kinds of ways they were suffering. So when Peter writes his letter, he's writing to encourage them through persecution He's, he's writing to prepare them for even greater trials that might come and he's wanting to encourage and exhort them to fulfill the calling that they've got as God's elect. And that applies to us as well, to know that, hey, God's chosen me and, uh, and that's the main thing. And so this the main theme through this book that keeps coming through uh, comes out of the reasons that he had to write to them, which is basically that God is going to be with you even if you're suffering. And, and so much so that his glory is seen through the suffering in your life, the way you respond. And in fact, those two words, suffering and glory, are the two key words that appear in this book, translated into English, suffering and glory. Both of them appear 16 times in just these few chapters. And some other key words which might have come up on the screen behind that picture for first peter uh, uh grace uh, that appears about 10 times the word uh, precious hope they both appear five times throughout the the book and they're themes that we'll notice as we read on so let's go back to verse two he says you're the elect he says according to the foreknowledge of god so there's predestination for you um and the fact that you're the elect god's chosen you so obviously we have this tension we have free will we choose whether we're going to follow Christ. So that's the Arminiast theological viewpoint. Uh, but then over here you've got John Calvin saying, yeah, 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 but, but God knows everything. This is predestined. 
And so that's true as well because God simply knows what choices you were going to make. So there's a, there's a tension there. We have to be able to put the two together. Um, and notice uh, he says, so there's more there about your identity in Christ. You're, you're chosen by him. And, uh, and then it says, in sanctif- your foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctica- sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So there's the Trinity confirmed right there. And some Christian groups, not many, but a few groups over the last couple of thousand years struggle with the concept of the Trinity. I think we all struggle with trying to understand the Trinity uh, fully. Three aspects of one person, three personalities, is it? But yet one person, well... We have to accept because we see it in Scripture, uh, and we experience in our walk that God is both God is not both God is Father, uh, and there He is, the Father, uh, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all mentioned. The Father knows you and chose you. Jesus died for you and saves you, and you're being sanctified or being made more holy by the work of the Holy Spirit inside you. So, uh, so that's cool. We go on and it says uh, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Just go back and notice um, that phrase, begotten. That's really old English. This is the, as I said, it's the new King James, but it's not that new. It's still based on the King James. Your Bible might say born again, because that's the simple, most modern translation of the original phrase, which is a Bible phrase, which is worth remembering, because people have used the term born again as a kind of branch of Christianity. Oh, they're born, they're born againers. Oh, yeah, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a born-againer. <laughs> but he's a born-againer. Have you heard that? You know, like, oh, that's a fanatical, fundamental kind of slightly weird style of Christianity. Well, not really, because it's, it's pretty much the essence of what it is to be a Christian, uh, to be born again. It's exactly what Jesus said. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And he, you may know, told that to the seeking Jewish scholar Nicodemus who came to see him in the dead of night and you read that in John chapter 3 so don't be afraid of using that phrase or describing yourself as being born again if you haven't been born twice you'll die twice but if you're born twice you'll only die once I think that's how it works make sure I get the numbers right there but you know what I'm saying and notice what you're born into it says there you've been uh through his abundant mercy, he's, born, he's begotten us again, or you've been born again to a living hope. Isn't that cool? That, is, that means we get to live with expectation. We live with hope. Even if you are suffering, and there'll be a lot more talk about that as we read through the book, even if there are problems, and we're all going to have them, and there are circumstances that are far from perfect, that really are distressing at times, we always have hope because Jesus gives us hope. And notice the inheritance. Again, there's three Greek words that he uses uh, to describe the inheritance that we have in God. He's, it's translated incorruptible, undefiled, and one that doesn't fade away because Let's face it, 
every other inheritance you may receive is corruptible, imperfect, and will eventually fade away or get used up. You could get a very generous inheritance in property or money from a very rich person, but the money won't last forever. The property you'll rot away eventually. There are limits to every other inheritance except this one. And so when you have inherited your eternal life in Jesus, you're part of a family like we heard over communion that doesn't ever change. It doesn't, you don't get kicked out. You become orphaned, thrown out on the street. The money doesn't run out. God's not poor. He's not going to, you know, stop being able to provide for you saying, oh, look, I've looked after you for 50 years. I'm sorry. The coffers are empty. You'll have to go to Centrelink. I can't help you. I, you know, God, yeah, he's rich. He's, and not just materially, he's going to keep feeding and filling and fueling up your life with whatever you need. Your strength, the joy, the passion for life, purpose in life, all that we need. It's very exciting. You know, it may be sometimes a little hard to grasp how exciting some of this stuff is because Bible phrases get very familiar. And you may have heard, oh, eternal life by the sanctification of the redemption of the Son of the blood of the crow, you know, and you hear those phrases. Well, just listen to that last little passage from the message. Now, this is a paraphrase, so it's not a direct translation. It's not even dynamic Loose translation, it's very loose, but it's still cool. And um, this is uh, Eugene Peterson's take on the Bible. So it's based on the original language, but he uses a few more, uh, what do they say, a bit of poetic license to get the phraseology um, very readable. So he says this, verse 3 and 4, he puts it this way. What a God we have. How fortunate are we to have him, this father of our master Jesus, because because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life. We now have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. I think that captures a little bit of the excitement that we should feel. Not like, yes, I went to church today. What did you learn? Oh, well, the pastor said something about I've got eternal life and I'm you know, going to go and live forever. Anyway, I've got to do the accounts and life is really frustrating. And what's for lunch? And oh no. It's like, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Stop. Boop. Time out. Eternal life. You know, how can you, you know what I mean? Sometimes, do you need to physically slap yourself? I don't know. Do you want me to help? I, I don't know. But do you know what I'm saying? Spiritually, at least. Here, just receive this figuratively. You know, just come on, wake up, smell the roses, whatever. Just the coffee, go and have a coffee, just whatever. You know what I'm saying? You know, like let's not, the familiarity of of Scripture, of the Christian experience, we've got, you know, something pretty awesome. You have everything to live for. And notice it's by God's abundant mercy. We've received this new life through Jesus alone. You cannot earn it. By anything you might do, you don't get it through any other religion. And I'm not saying anything against another religion or I could be arrested and thrown in jail these days. You know, who knows? But let's face it, Jesus said it. There's one way. He's the way, the truth of the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So that's just a proclamation of truth that I've understood from reading the Bible. I'm not having a go at anyone, right? Um, Martin Luther commented, he wrote a commentary. On these verses. 
And he says of that verse about um, receiving from God's abundant mercy, he says, you have not obtained this through your own strength, work or merit, for the treasure is too great and all the holiness and righteousness of mankind far too worthless to obtain it. Oh, that's good. It's worthless, you know. Our, our righteous acts are like rags, the Bible says. You know, R- Luther had a little bit of a rev about this, as you may know. Uh, a little rev, just a little revelation. It, it kind of formed one of the key doctri- doctrinal foundations for uh, the last 500 years of Protestant evangelical Christianity that we're part of, you know, called the Reformation, and basically that we're saved by grace through faith and not from ourselves. So... Romans particularly outlines that. Um, and so, again, it's uh, uh, you know, highlighted here that we can't obtain what we really need by ourselves. But Jesus can, and Jesus did. And he's paid for it. And he's made it freely available to us. And with that salvation, that forgiveness, that eternal life comes... The fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, life, joy, purpose, meaning, direction, hope for the future, the strength to endure trials, a relationship with the Father and with other people and all kinds of wonderful stuff. So that's pretty exciting. Exciting. It's all from him. And notice that phrase. Uh, it said, through his abundant mercy. So there it is. It's his mercy, his grace. As I said, grace and mercy, they're constant themes in this book. Actually, Craig Dewar said something clever the other day, and so I thought I should announce it. Uh, you know, <laughs> no, not for the first time, but um, we have a WhatsApp group. You know, WhatsApp, you have these uh, group sort of, you know, text app thing, and, um, and we have one for 101 property, which I often regret that I'm part of because you find out, you know, what has happened or didn't happen or got broken or needs fixing or whatever, but... Praise God, there are others that help solve the problems. And so Dale put up there, um, someone forgot to turn the alarm off. And then I'm thrown into the deep end here, mate. Um, Frosty, Frosty, to his credit, said it was me. Left my wallet, ran back in, forgot to turn the alarm off or something. He said, oh, but I did put the sign up, the welcome sign. So if someone breaks in, they'll feel at home uh, or something like that, you know. And then uh, and I said, so my comment was, that's all right, mate. We're all allowed one mistake every decade. And then Dale said, hang on a minute. I thought you told me it was only one mistake a lifetime. And I said, oh, yeah, that's for you. Uh, but we're going easy on Frosty. All right? And then here's Craig pitching in. Craig, Craig, do it. Why? So that's not the clever thing. That's just typical of Craig, just sticking his head in, you know. <laughs> it, was, it was all good. We'd had a bit of banter. The alarm was back on, but oh, no. Oh, no. Craig has to just, you know. So he says, why? And I go, oh, because Frosty's only young. And, um, and then Craig comes back with this. He wrote, you should only show grace to people who deserve it. Isn't that awesome? I thought, because it feels right, doesn't it? You you think, yeah, that sounds fair. Yeah. Yet, of course, it wouldn't be grace because grace isn't fair. Uh, So I thought that was clever and worthy of mention. So, um, but, you know, in us, you know, we sort of think, yeah, yeah, well, they don't deserve grace. I'm not giving them any. Oh, 
oh, hang on a minute. If you just stop and listen to the Holy Spirit, he's having a little whisper in your ear at that point saying, hey, dummy, that wouldn't be grace, you know, because we're called not just to receive it, but to give it. Christ died for us, the Bible says, while we were still sinners. He didn't say, oh, no, 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 yeah. Sarah Gervin. <laughs> when you get your act together, so I've only known her for like 30 years. Okay, it's right. So there you go. Talk about grace. Talk about grace, the pastor mispronouncing your name. Sarah, you know, God's saying, look, if you just get your act together, then I'll save you. Well, of course, and I, I pick on her because she's less likely needing a grace of some of you others. Um, so, <laughs> Scott, for example. Yes. Um, you know what I'm saying. You know, God, God has given us. You know, he's graciously saved us when we don't deserve it. And we're called to show the same, to forgive, to show mercy, to give people a bit of slack, give them a second chance, overlook the fall. But notice this, that doesn't mean you're a pushover. That doesn't mean you don't get to stand up for what's right. That doesn't mean you can't call a spade a spade. Because some Christians think, oh, well, I've just got to be gracious. and you know. I mean, imagine if Zach, you know, we got some keen guy wanting to play guitar who doesn't know what he's doing and says, Zach, I'm really, you know, I look good. Now, I'm not talking about the guys up here, right? Not mentioning some guy that, you know, can't even play Happy Birthday, you know, but um, uh, I'm talking about, um, you know, someone who's just keen and they show, imagine if Zach and this guy gets up and he's hopeless and he's wrong chords and he can't even tune the guitar and, and you know, but he looks good. He's confident, a bit pushy maybe. Yeah, come on, let me... What is that? Oh, come on, Zach, be gracious. Give him a go. That's not, that's not going to work, is it? So, now that doesn't mean he abuses him and says, well, you're an idiot, you're hopeless, what do you think you're doing? But he's still going to have to graciously tell the guy the way it is. And see, so the Bible says, speak the truth in love. So we want to always be able to deal with stuff and in your close relationships, working relationships, marriage relationships, family relationships, you can't afford to just say, oh, let's be gracious and never talk about it. No, no, there are issues, there are problems, there are situations, conflict or whatever. And you might need to correct or give your opinion or say, listen, I feel like this or I want to say that or I can help you here. And then, of course, we do it seasoned with grace. Amen? And so that's good preaching. And I say that in all humility. Um, so, um, so yeah, of course, we walk with grace, but we can still help each other improve and we can deal and address um, real issues. So we're going to uh, read a little more and then we'll finish up. We're reading verse 5. You're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, for the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow. So here's the first mention of suffering, and, uh, and, there's, it's, and it's not the last in this book. And so obviously, you know, we all have pain at times. There are situations that are hard and hurtful, unjust and unfair, but at the same time, our faith helps us not just cope, not just get by, not just endure, but we can actually rejoice, he says there. He says, 
you can greatly rejoice. Though, yes, you're going through a tough time. And why is that? Because we trust in God. Because we're not just leaning on our own means, our own resources, or someone else down here on earth. We are putting our faith in the one who has got it all under control. He is going to make sure it works out for your good, just as the Bible promises, Romans 8, 28. I like Robert Shuler. Remember, he wrote a bunch of positive, faith-filled books, and one of his book's titles was Tough Times Never Last, But Tough People Do. And, uh, and he, he talked about his experiences, and, and that's, that's right here. Even though we feel heat on us, our faith is being strengthened and refined and rewarded, just like gold that he refers to only shines beautifully because it's actually gone through the fire, the furnace, and they you know scrape off the dross and then heat it up again and it comes to the surface and they scrape off the impurities and then it, and it ends up shining. We read on, it says, Jesus, whom having not seen yet you still love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. So I'm going to pick up on that, but I just want to, can we just read again verse verse 5? Just go back to verse 5 because this theme starts flowing into those next few verses. Look, you've been kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time or if the last days or when Jesus comes back. So hold on to that thought. Something's going to happen right at the end of time. And then we keep reading. Go down to verse 9 again. You're going to receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So here's that thought again. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So people in the past have looked forward to what we now get to appreciate, what Jesus did on the cross. To them it was real that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those that have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Now, as I said, if you read the New Living Translation, some of those phrases will make a little more sense. So we're not going to go and unpack all of that. But I just want to note that that phrase, the end of your faith, the fact that we haven't seen him yet, yet we love him. He says, you still believe in him, you still follow him, you love him, even though you haven't seen him. You haven't seen received the fulfillment of your salvation. So on one hand, right now, we have this sense of heaven on earth, salvation changing us now, and yet there's still this ultimate fulfillment that we look forward to. Now, of course, some Christians go to one extreme or the other. Some people just employ all the formula of faith to focus on their life on earth and just think, great, God's going to bless me, and they get materialistically minded and short-sighted and forget that they've got a heavenly calling and a ministry to other people, and you can just live a kind of selfish, carnal Christianity. Some other people focus on heaven, but they don't appreciate what God's wanting to do in the meantime. And all they have is this sense of, oh, well, we're sinners saved by grace, and one day we'll go to heaven. In the meantime, we'll just study the Bible in circles and not really make a difference and really enjoy life. But we can do both. Amen? You can enjoy life. You can be useful for God. You can do stuff here on earth, and yet you just don't 
lose perspective because you realise, hang on, I've got to have a heavenly calling and be heavenly minded. And we're looking forward to ultimate fulfilment of our salvation. And so we have this anticipation and it's powerful when you're looking forward to something. You know, if you've had a tough day, you get through it because you're thinking, oh, at the end of the day, I'll get to go home and I can crash out and maybe leave the problems at work behind. Or even if you've had a tough week, you're looking forward to the weekend. Even if you're going through a whole tough year, you think, well, I've got something to look forward to. We're going to have summer. I'm going to have a holiday. You know, Well, you just extrapolate that out. You can have a tough life, but you can still have a spring in your step because you're looking forward to ultimate home in heaven, perfection, no weeping, gnashing your teeth, no nothing but God's presence and perfection. And so, again, that's not to say that's all you've got to look forward to because you can get victories along the way. But ultimately, no matter how bad it gets, worst case scenario, you're still going to heaven if you follow Jesus. And, and, uh, and so we need to hang on to that as a, a strength for our soul, yeah? As, and keep it skipping your step. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the depth of your word and we can just scratch the surface this morning to, to sense your calling and your destiny and, and the direction that you can give us through understanding your word. I pray that we'd be able to uh, stay buoyant in our spirit even through tough times. And I pray for anyone right now some people here going through some very difficult situations and, and struggling and, and suffering. But Lord Jesus, you bring hope. Jesus, you come. You shine in the darkness. You pour water on that dry, parched land and something springs up and grows and becomes fruitful. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you. Your touch and blessing on everyone here today. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.